This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Okay. Let's uh, let's just have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, please guide us now as we discuss these business uh, concepts and uh, especially these ideas that we have in our mind, Lord, help us to, to know whether these are your ideas or they're just our ideas. And Lord, we want to lay them at your feet um, to check the feasibility and to check whether this is something that you want to use to build up your kingdom. And so we, we ask for that special connection with the Holy Spirit now for this next hour. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Is your idea feasible? Can the thing thrive that you're thinking about? And we're going to go through basically the 10 main questions that, that are important to answer yep. before and while starting any mission project or business uh, idea. For me, when I say business, I mean a ministry as well, right? When I say ministry, I mean business as well. Why? Because any Adventist business, if it isn't a ministry, it's not worth my or your time. Does that make sense? No. Time is short. We're about to go home. Don't waste your time just doing business for business sake. Does that make sense? By the way, Sebastian said something very important. If your main focus is to make money, then you're not going to be in business very long, right? This is very important. But let me tell you the other extreme. If, if making money is not one of your top three priorities, then you will not be in business either. <laughs> That's right. Okay. This is really important, okay? So, it shouldn't be the highest priority. It shouldn't. The mission is always the highest priority. But if it isn't one of the three, you know, sure. history tells us that you're not going to be in business very long. Okay? So, this is important. Um, as, a, as a basis, let me just go through real quick uh, my, my, my personal story. I already mentioned a little bit at the beginning. I grew up in Switzerland. I was a little bit of a worldly kid, okay? I loved drumming. I got offered a scholarship to go to Berkeley College of Jazz in Boston uh, to study drumming. And, uh, and then thankfully, the Lord sent me on this mission trip. I didn't even know what I was going to be doing. And then suddenly the pastor said, hey, you are actually preaching an evangelistic campaign. And uh, so I ended up preaching. I already was used to being on stage. So... so uh, Anyway, through that, I got so excited about mission work that the last thing I wanted to do was to go study drumming afterwards. So I wanted to become a missionary. So I ended up being in Honduras, working with my buddy here. We were 19 years old. This is, by the way, this is me. I was a little bit thinner back then, a little bit less hair. Um, <laughs> in Honduras. And we, we started a number of projects there and I and I had no no idea how to do any of this. I was I was 19. Uh, I didn't even know what it means to start a nonprofit or start a for-profit. I had no idea that you had to do a legal paper for this. You know, um, but we started then a number of things: a lifestyle center and a mission school, and then an elementary school. Now the elementary school has like 140 kids. Um, and then, and then a number of enterprises, a tamarind plantation, 1,600 trees. You know, we created a processing plant, selling juice, you know, selling concentrate to juicing company. So, for, so I got into all of this, and I started realizing that the more I did this, the more, uh, the more successful I would be, or the ministry would be, in reaching people with the gospel. Because suddenly we had 20 employees in the, in the tamarind uh, business, and with those guys, guess what we did for morning devotionals? 
We studied the 28 fundamental beliefs with all of our employees, right? From the community, right? So we provide employment, it's over. So we started realizing, oh man, there's a lot of potential here. And I, I came from a mindset of this poor missionary concept. You know that it's, it's a virtue to be poor. You know that virtue? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen a rich missionary? <laughs> No, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't used to that idea. So, so I thought, no, the poorer I am, you know, the more spiritual I am, and, and the more people will also have compassion on me and give me funds to, 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 to do the project, right? And so I realized that that really is not the goal. And Ellen White has a really cool, uh, I mean, about, I don't know, probably a thousand quotes talking about self-supporting work. She's saying... Hey guys, when we do mission work, what we're supposed to be doing is making it self-supporting. Self-supporting meaning business-based, that it funds itself. So it's not, it's not necessarily uh, based on donations, but it's, but it's self-funded. This is how mission work should develop. So I realized, huh, when she's talking about self-supporting work, she's talking about business evangelism. That's so right. I rebaptized the term call it business evangelism, and now suddenly all the millennials are liking it, you know. So, <laughs> so, but my idea was that money was evil. And I thought and I realized that this is actually a general concept understood in our church. Not just in our church, in all of Christianity. And I, and I started researching, figuring out where does this concept come from because this is actually inhibiting us from really advancing God's work because we have this averse relationship to money. Yep. Right? And so I studied into it and I figured out that it comes from the medieval time period and that the church at that time created this idea that the more spiritual you are, the more... The, the, the poorer you are. So, so the most spiritual people were who? The monks, the monks. right? The monks. And, and, and they all had a vow of poverty. So if you had more money, then you were considered more worldly. If you had less money, then you were considered more spiritual. Actually, they made money off of this. They, they, they were telling this, the people uh, these things so that they would then give also indulgences to the church and so forth, you know, making them feel good if they're poor. So, so um, anyway, this concept really persists uh, until today, except actually in Protestantism. It was Calvin, John Calvin, that realized that this is not a biblical concept, that the Bible looks at money as a blessing from God and actually is a tool to be used to advance the work of God. We all know this. Even poor missionaries know this. We all come to ASI. Why? <laughs> we want money, right? So, so we need money to advance the work of God. So the Bible is very clear that we should use the money. It's like a hammer, you know. Hammer, with a hammer you can build a house. And with a hammer you can kill someone, right? Yeah, so... But it's just a tool, and we should use it to advance the work of God, not to do anything that is selfish. So Max Weber, German guy, wrote this book. It's one of the most quoted books in, in social economics, uh, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. He actually saw the correlation between which countries became Protestant and their power of economic success and their their ability to start companies to, um, to think and do, to think differently, to think independently. Of course, these are Protestants. These are the guys that are going against uh, the, the, the regime at the time of the papacy. And so, so you can actually see up to today here the green parts versus the yellow parts, Protestant and the Catholic countries. And its distribution in terms of economic growth of the country is based on whether the country is more Protestant or whether it's more Catholic. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So the spirit or the mindset, this entrepreneurial mindset has an effect on the culture. It has an effect on society. It has an effect on economic growth of a country. Uh, now, somebody told me, you know, 
the root of all evil is what? Nope, the love of money. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, you got it, you got it. It's not money that is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. So if you attach your heart to money, then you're in trouble, right? So this is why the whole church has shrieked away from money because there's a danger there, right? There's a hole in the middle of the room that you can fall into, right? And so we'd rather not enter the room, but uh, we won't get anywhere if we do that. Ellen White writes this quote. This really blew my mind when I read this the first time. The desire to accumulate wealth. Wait, 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 wait. Who of you wants to accumulate wealth in here? <laughs> you all worldly folk, man. No. Hey, I, 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 I thought this for, for the last 10 years, okay? I mean, before I read the quote, this was a few years ago. But, but for 10 years at least, I was thinking the desire to accumulate wealth is something inside of me that I need to pray every day to get it out of my heart, right? Well, I read this quote. Man, it, it transformed. I, I almost questioned Ellen White's validity on this quote, okay? It says, the desire to accumulate wealth is an original affection of our nature implanted there by the devil himself. God. By our heavenly father. And here's the key, okay? This is the most important part of the quote. Is for noble, noble ends. ends. Not for yourself, okay? It's not for selfishness, okay? If you're making money for selfishness, then you're corrupting your character like nothing else will do, right? Yep. But if you're making money in order to bless others, in order to help others, in order to help the poor, advance the work of God, then making money ennobles your character more than almost anything else. What? Does that make sense? So this is really important that we understand it's for these noble ends that Ellen White talks about that we should try to accumulate money. So this is, this is a basis that profit, profitability is actually a good thing, is a heaven-desired thing that we do as the basis for when now we're going to talk about feasibility, which has to do with profitability, that we can do that. All of our entrepreneur, uh, all of our pioneers realized that that mission was entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship was mission right all of these guys if you look at them james james white and all of these guys what they did was they were going out all over the world to start enterprises they were starting uh printing presses they were starting Churches, they were started, church, starting church, church planting is an entrepreneurial endeavor, right? Yep. So these guys were starting health food stores. They were starting sanitariums all over the world. By the way, sanitarium was an invention of, the, of Kellogg, right? Yep. Yeah, the word, right? The design was, was obviously uh, designed by God himself, but it was a new business model that he created, and he actually called up Webster's Dictionary and told them, hey, I created a new word, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you better put it into the dictionary very soon. He did that about five years in a, in a row, and then they finally accepted sanitarium as a new word in the dictionary. So this is how, this is how entrepreneurs like, you know, my wife, you know, she loves, she loves uh, the dictionary, you know, it's like, no. I create words every, all the time when, I, when I'm speaking. I just come up, come up with a new word. She's like, no, don't use that word. That doesn't exist, you know. It's my <laughs> wife. And I say, well, well, if I use it a lot en enough, eventually it'll exist. <laughs> so anyway, this is our relationship to uh, rules. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments here. Amen. So anyway, I, we started this, this uh, project and this project, which is now... Um, actually a GC project. They just, they just uh, fully funded it, which is really exciting. Amen. Um, it's a crowd translation project for tra 
um, translating Alawite's writings into 55 languages. And then here is Hive Camp. This is what we started now helping other entrepreneurs to start. So let's get into it. Christ Object Lessons, Ellen says, religion and business are not two separate things. They are one. That's right. Man, beautiful, right? Such a simple and basic truth. She explains it. Oh, where's the other quote? Anyway, she has another beautiful quote where she actually says how these two are a married couple and they shouldn't be divorced. Okay, yes. beautiful. Anyway. Let's get into this. So when we think about feasibility, the first thing we need to think about is failure. Okay? Uh, how many businesses actually fail? So if you look at the failure rates in different industries, it's a little bit different. You can see uh, the most failure, the biggest failures are in information technology. This is obvious. Why? Well, it's the easiest to get into. And it's the most, there's the biggest hype about it. So many people get into it, and uh, many get into it without a lot of preparation. So they started, you know, to start a website, you know, it costs you maybe $10, you know. So it's very easy to get into. And so there's a lot of, a lot more failure rate. But it goes down, and uh, here real estate is uh, actually one of the lower ones. But still, it's 42%. So, so an average... Essentially, an average of failure that we have is here, is about 50% of, of all businesses fail, okay? So sometimes people think, well, if we start a ministry, it can't fail. It's a ministry, exactly, right? We're cooperating with one who knows no, no failure. So we equate, we, we, how do you say, we equivalent. You understand what I'm saying? Equate. Equate. So I just invented a word, okay? That's so right. So we equivalent. No. That's all right. <laughs> I'm going to call Webster's now. Um, we equate uh, ministry with it's impossible to fail. But this is actually an unfortunate um, lie. That's right. Because the reality, if you look out there, and I've been dealing with ministries different parts of the world. I've visited hundreds of them, and many of them, at least 50%, are non-existent today of the ones that I visited 10 years ago, okay? So many restaurants have come and gone. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of some of these stories. So, so, so this, is, this is part of our reality. And don't be surprised and don't be discouraged if something fails. Failure is part of a success story. Every success story it has a failure in the past. They don't tell it. About, they don't tell the story until they become really successful. Then they start telling the stories. Okay. That's so, right. so, so, just be patient, and then you'll hear all the all the failure stories, right? Um, the other reality is that about thirty-five percent uh, just survive. Okay. Many many businesses are on that level. They just survive. So the ones that don't die. Many of them survive, and then there's about 15%, 10 to 15% that actually really thrive and become very successful uh, in the long term. So, so uh, this, is, this is important. Part of the reason why it's this high, the failure rate is so high, is because many people fall in love with the product too much, and they, they, they start a project, and if they have some money, then they invest all the money, and they don't do the enough research. They don't do. They don't. They don't like the problem enough. They like their solution to their problem. And so then, once they've done that first round, most of them never get back into business. And to to speak to that is, a lot of people when they want to do a business like an app or a ministry that requires a huge amount of money to start. Going back to the previous seminar, when you're doing your with the environment is in discovery, right? And so the, the ambiguity is very high, your resources are very low. Now during that time, what happens is if you invest $100,000 in a business, how many times can you keep experimenting to see if that business is gonna work? Not many times. So the reality is as an, as an entrepreneur, I'm trying to figure out how to fail quickly, cheaply, 
and as soon as possible. So if you have $100,000, you know, you need to plan out, okay, I need, I get, if I can fail with $1,000, yes. I can do that 100 times, then it works. Eventually, if you failed about 100 times, you'll get to the business model that can generate product market fit, right? And, and that can and, become business. And this business. is key because a lot of people don't know that PayPal, when it was created, all that they had was encryption software. That was all that they had. They figured out, well, there's got to be a way for us to, to make this into a business. And PayPal was idea number nine. After burning through hundreds of thousands of dollars of capital. People also don't know that Uber just started making money a year or two ago, actually becoming profitable. But they realize that if we can extend this long enough, we'll start making a lot of money every single month. But this is the whole idea of that recognition, that PayPal was not their first idea. It was encryption software. How can we sell it? That didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. And eventually, they hit PayPal, and you know the rest is history. Amen. So why do startups fail? Why do so many fail? So they did a study, uh, and you can find this actually on a TED Talk, uh, of 100 companies to look at what are the main ingredients, why some of these fail, and why some of them succeed. And the interesting part is, they looked at five different elements. They looked at the idea, the quality of the idea, the quality of the team, versus which is essentially execution, uh, the business model itself, the funding possibilities that they had, and the timing in the market. What do you think is the most important part of these five? The idea? The business model? <laughs> Let's see. Look, they looked at a whole bunch of them. You guys know Z.com? Do you guys know YouTube? Okay. Here, YouTube. So they checked all of these, and here's what they found. 42% of the success depended mainly on timing in the market. So if you're going to start a vegan restaurant, <laughs> yeah, so you, you and, and, and location, of course, right? I have many friends, they start a vegan restaurant in a rural community. In Germany, I have like a number of friends that are trying to do this. And I'm like, guys, a vegan restaurant statistically will not succeed unless there's 100,000 people living in that Immediate city. Immediate vicinity, okay? that's right. So don't do it outside of that, because there's not enough vegan population to, to, to generate enough income, right? And you know, to speak to that is, um, I was talking to a barber, he was opening a barber shop, and this place is saturated with barbers. And he said to himself, well, you know, this is how much I need, and so I said, how much money do you need to make? And so we started testing it out. He goes in and I said, in order for your business to thrive, you'd have to cut 60% of the people in the entire county would have to come to your barbershop in order for your business to make it. But without sitting down and doing that analysis and research, he, he already invested in contractors, building out the space and everything yeah. without the feasibility. So timing, timing is actually uh, the strongest element to knowing when is the right time for you to start. Z.com started five years, I think, before... YouTube. It yep. was unfortunately before uh, uh, wideband, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, internet. Broadband, yeah, broadband streaming internet. and so forth. So it was, it, was, um, it was an awesome business model. It's the exact same thing as YouTube, but <laughs> they were just a little bit too early, right? And yes. then YouTube came along right at the right time and it, it took off. The next strongest one is team, is execution. Because execution is the possibility of failing and learning and going through that loop, the, 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 the learning curve. So if you have a good team, you can go through a bunch of idea problems and business model problems. You circumvent those. The, the idea, if the idea was great, it's 28% okay. of the success. And business model, 24%. And the last, the, last the least important, 
is funding. So funding is obviously only for when managers want to start a business or the manager personality type, yes. they, they want all the funds already available because that's what they're used to, right? But an entrepreneur, you know, for us, starting, starting the translation company, my wife and I, you know, translation company, man, it's, uh, it's a really simple business model. You know, you just put up a website, it costs us $10, you know. Within a couple hours, we got our first deal for $10,000 to translate something. They paid it in advance, we paid to translate, you know. And so suddenly, we had a business, right? So with investing $10 to set up a website. So, so um, you don't need necessarily a lot of money. Usually, you don't know how to reduce the business model, the business idea, to something, what we call the MVP, the minimum viable product. Uh, to be able to make it work. So let me go through the framework that we're going to spend the rest of our time on uh, to identify whether your idea is feasible. We, we developed a, a pitch canvas here for the, we did this for the Hive Camp participants, you know, these startups, these entrepreneurs. And so this is what we help them go through. And we're going to go through it in detail here. This is the first half of it. And here's the second half of it. These are the questions that you need to answer. These are the 10 questions that you need to answer for your business idea. If you can't answer them, you will not be successful. Okay? It's very simple. Yeah, I'm, we're going to go through each one of these points right now. So let me go through. The first point here, the why. Why, why you, what, what is the purpose behind it? Here, you need to know if you are actually the right person for that business model, okay? And actually finding out what is the, re what is the area that you are called to, to, to work in um, to, do, to do God's work and to do business especially. So here's three, three circles. These are generally common knowledge, right? What are you passionate about? You should be passionate about something. Um, if you're not, you know, you, then you, yeah, then you go into the exploration phase. Uh, you can just explore. Uh, something you love doing. The other one is talent, what you're good at. What you're good at or what, you're special, what, what your specialty is that other people don't have or don't do. And the third one is what can be, make it self-supporting. What, what actually makes money. Uh, otherwise, it's not a business. Um, so if it's, passion, if it's in the passion, if, you, if you're excited about it and, and it pays well, but you're not talented at doing it, then it's just a dream, okay? If it, you're passionate about it and you're talented about it, but it doesn't make any money, then you're going to be happy but poor, huh? Here. Which is fine, but you're just making a conscious decision, right? Um, and if you're talented... And it's going to make money, but you're not passionate about it. Then you're going to be rich but miserable, okay? So that's not ideal either. So the ideal is really to find the intersection of all three. That becomes the place where you should focus or find your business idea. All of this is in the circle of what actually can reach people, okay? Does that make sense? It's the mission, the mission focus all of that should be in a sanctified, in a way, uh, <laughs> manner. So let me give an example of this. For me, this is why actually we created Hive, Hive Camp, or Hive International is, is the legal name. Hive International was, in, it was all about helping to start. I love starting. Actually, I don't love running businesses. That's right. Okay, I'm not a manager. I love, I love the, the, the high risk, high, you know, all these difficulties, figuring out, going around, all these legal stuff. and da, 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 da. This is what I love doing, right? This is what most people hate doing. But I love doing it. I love to start a process, right? So I figured, I realized, this is, I realized this in Honduras, uh, you know, doing, doing that over there, is that this is what I enjoy doing. And so, and so, and then I figured out that actually this was a talent, and so... So then I realized that this is what I wanted to do. So um, the first part in this, uh, or this is actually number two here, is finding the problem that isn't being solved well. So this is, this is really important 
let's find a problem. Um, and I just put in here the examples of, of this, this Hive Camp community. What is the problem that I saw? Well, when I was starting a project in Honduras, I had, I had nobody to really give me professional guidance on how to start a ministry, how to start our businesses. Nobody helped, you know. We got some counsel here and there, but it wasn't, it wasn't very professional. It wasn't really um, uh, something, something that I was hoping that now I realize, oh man, this would have been really helpful. So this is part of the real problem, okay? Really understanding the, the problem is, is very important. And you guys know design thinking? Heard of it? Okay, design thinking is a process to how to solve problems in, a, in an agile way. The idea is to go from the mindset of making people want the things that we create to making things that people want, okay? So this is a notorious problem of, I would say, of uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, very specially. <laughs> Why? 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 Well, it's because we know we have the truth. And all we need to do is we need to make people want, want the truth, right? So it's in, our, it's in our paradigm so heavily ingrained that it becomes very difficult for us to think more for the customer than for what we're wanting to offer because we're always wanting to offer the gospel. Uh, and, I, and I don't disagree with that. We need to do that. But at the same time, we need to follow this process in order to actually reach them, right? So learn actually... What are the things that people are actually wanting yep. and then creating those things? We have methodologies for that, personas. How do you really study the person? This is really important. When you're starting an idea, spend some time actually studying the, 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 the potential customers that you're trying to reach, that you're going to want to reach. Study them, understand them, talk to them, ask questions. You know, write this, your, your ideal personality of the person that you're trying to reach, write it in here. Uh, I make, I mean, you can have thousands of questions, okay? It's just, it's, ne it's never ending. I have a list here. You know, I can make this presentation available to you, okay, if you want it. You know, it's, it's, it's a never ending list. But these questions, actually, if you take time, we don't have time to do it, but these are very much worth studying. Okay. Let me go. Now, I, I just want to pop in here real quick to say you have pencil and blank paper there at your table because uh, in the next session, we're going to get really nuts and bolts. But there's two things I want to mention as we talk about knowing your customer. What people say they will buy and what people say they will do is different than what they actually do. So when I was starting my business, my wife would say, well, they said this. I'm like, but they were not a paying customer. I don't listen to people that don't pay me. So if you tell me, Sebastian, I'll use that. Okay, prove it by buying it. But don't tell me you'll use it, and then when I present it, you're like, oh, no, I got other funds, et cetera, et cetera. So the second thing I want to mention is when you have your business idea, when we get to the next session we do with the business model, right now I want you to use that first piece of paper to go through this piece with Jesse to write down these things for your idea. Go on Attendify on your app, and you can download the Pitch Canvas uh, that I presented here at the beginning with all of those questions. It's actually there for you to also be able to fill in your ideas on the, these different questions, okay? And so the challenge I want to give to you is even while you're here at GYC, you're dealing with thousands of people. And if your potential business idea or ministry idea is relevant to this audience here, you now have an ability to achieve a statistically relevant number, which is 50 people. Where you go and you make a basic concept. What if we had a, a ministry that connected young people that were interested in godly relationships, blah, 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 whatever. Then you go out and you start asking people, who do you think your market is and what are your assumptions and find 50 people to answer those questions for you. Would you use a service like this? Yes or no? Five basic questions. I can point you to more things later, but I want to challenge you to actually get into action because entrepreneurs are movers. We're not sitting around talking and I want to know. So let me talk to the customer and hear from them. Themselves. If it's just 10 people, maybe 50 people is maybe a lot, but just right. 10 people, 
for each of these fields, uh, you'll, have, you'll, have, you'll be much closer to your actual business model that's going to work than, than right now what you think is really going to work because it's in your mind and you're the entrepreneur, you know, and you know everything better, right? But uh, listen to those people, 10 people, and it'll already turn your mind around. Okay, now let's think about the solution. So going back to the Hive Camp problem. What's the Hive Camp problem? Is giving professional guidance to people that are wanting to start a business or a ministry, right? So how do you solve that? What is what is what is your suggestion for an awesome solution? I want to know. I want to know because I'm part of Hive Camp, right? <laughs> so tell me, this is the problem. What are the solutions to provide this kind of professional guidance for starting missional businesses? Tell me, what do you think? Let's make a list here. What are your suggestions? Come up, just creative juices, throw it in. Make an online community, all right. Make videos available. That's right, now, it's gotta be a business model, right? You gotta make, you gotta generate income. Subscribers, okay, an online subs subscription platform for missional business uh, content, these kind of content, these kind of presentations, yeah? Make events, yeah. Have people to remind you of your commitment? Like mentors? Mentors. Sebastian, you listening? I'm listening, I'm listening. Okay, what else? Huh? Micro lending, yeah, a microfinance firm, right? Yeah. What else? Say what? Webinars, yeah. Charge for them. Oh, I'm not seeing here. Marketing and presentations of. Okay, helping the startups to get the word out. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yes. Instruction courses, like online courses? Yes. Okay. A registry, a business registry with Connect. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So kind of like an incubator program, a school of entrepreneurship. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Like a school. Yeah. A school of entrepreneurship online, an app. Okay, yeah, mentoring. Okay, so I just put down a few, a few things here that we've thought about. Incubators, microfinance, venture capital firm. Nobody's said that yet, but that's a little bit uh, beyond. Uh, yeah, anyway, business coaching, yeah, for the startups. It's kind of like mentoring, doing events, of course, career coaching subscription-based online training, etc. I actually really liked some of these ideas. I'm going to write them down, see if, I'm gonna, <laughs> see if we implement those. Hey, how, let me ask you a question. I'm going to just do a, I'm gonna just do a, a real quick um, uh, market, market research here. How many of you would pay $19 a month to get all the content from all the most successful startups and, and business leaders within the Adventist Church online for, for, for $19 a month. Can I see your hands? <laughs> good question. We're going to iterate <laughs> based on your feedback. Okay, okay, good. 
So now I can't really trust you guys, okay? Because you haven't paid it yet. But uh, we'll see, we'll see. Okay, good. Okay, so this is just, this is to give you an idea of how to test an idea. Actually, um, was I going to do this? Was I going to share this here? No. Okay, opportunity. Do market research. So this is the basic framework for understanding what your market, uh, how, how, what the potential is, the market potential for your business idea. You need to map out your market here. Everybody, every organization that presents something similar to what you're trying to do in your industry that has any weight, you should have it on your map, okay? So if you're, I was talking to a filmmaker, well, you need to put that, put all of the filmmakers, these kind of people on the map to understand, okay, who are the big players? What are they offering? What are their specialties? And then find, and this is part of the opportunity, the opportunity is not this. The opportunity is the demand that is supposedly out there that people are not supplying, right? Yep. That's the opportunity. That's your market opportunity. And the question is, how big is that opportunity? So you, you figure out, okay, we thought about it for, for, for Hive. Okay, so how many Adventists, how many, how many Adventists uh, young Adventists are there between 20 and 40? This is our target, target group, right? There's about 12 million Seventh-day Adventists in that age category, more or less. Now, how many of those are actually potential for joining Hive in some way, in an event or something? Well, we calculated about 5% actually have this entrepreneurial uh, mindset. It might be a little bit more, but we're going to be conservative here in the plans. So, so the idea is, okay, if you have 600,000 avenues that you can impact with this kind of an idea... Is that worth your time and efforts, or is it not worth your time and efforts? Does that make sense? So, and you obviously, if you have a very structured business model, you know how much money you're making per person that's, that's joining, then you can actually extrapolate, extrapolate how, much, how much is the market potential? How much, how much money can you generate yep. with this business idea? Okay, so with any business model, you need to have some of these numbers so that you can calculate. So we just took 5% of the market. You know, we're not going to reach everyone, right? Not everybody is very, very entrepreneurially minded. Not everybody is very mission minded either, right? So you, you, the market gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then you get a thing. And now it's 600,000 across the entire globe, right? So every country has, a, has 20 of them, you know? So... It's a question whether this is going to work or not. Uh, the other thing is what we looked at was the business model of actually providing business coaching to startups and ministries that are, that are in need of, of professional help. And we, we looked at it. We saw, we found that there's at least 3,000, you know, Avenus projects, centers of influence, small businesses within the church that are connected, that are into it. You know, and out of those, about a little less than half actually really need help, okay, with their business, or with their ministry. And out of those that really need help, actually only about 14% or so are really willing to pay for something like that. Does that make sense? So now we know, okay, we can make, we can, we can this is actually a need that people have. It's about 200 projects, 200 businesses, 200 ministries that we can help. Now, it might grow, it might get better, but, but that's a reasonable amount. And now you can think, okay, how much per, per project, how much, how much money would you get from one project? Usually a, a business consulting, you know, well, you can think about it. In the Avenus context, it's going to be a little bit different. It's much <laughs> cheaper. If you do it too high, it's never going to work. Yep. Um, so, so, so you can calculate more or less, okay, if it's 10 hours per project, 200 projects, then you can figure out how much you actually can make 
off of this, whether it's viable, whether you can employ someone to do this, or whether you can employ a number of business consultants to actually do this. So that's for your business, you need to follow the same model. Does that make sense? So you need to come up with these ideas, with these, with these market numbers, so that you can figure out whether this is worth pursuing or whether it's not worth pursuing. Okay? Okay. The next question is, is differentiation. How, what is unique about your business that any other business in the industry does not provide? Okay? So this is really important. Why do people buy from you? So this is a very typical problem. So uh, this is another issue in, in the in the Avenus community is that we think you know we think we can't use the word competition, right? <laughs> but in essence, in essence, we're not in competition with each other. But we need to differentiate from each other. If we're all different, then we're not in competition. But we're all the same. Like this is uh, this is like sanitarium work 101. Okay, everybody starts. We think sanitarium is just one business model. It's the same thing all over the world. We're all trying to reach the same people with the same program. What's the program called? New Start. <laughs> That's right. So, so we're trying to reach. Everybody's trying to reach the same target market, and so we get into each other's hair because we're all trying to get as much customers for our business. And the other ones are trying to get the same people, and we all say no. We're but we're all friends, you know. We're all you know. We're working together. But actually, how we should rather do it is that every sanitarium, every health center needs to specialize in something, you know, like Nedley, right? Yeah. What's Nedley famous for? Depression recovery. Exactly. If you have depression, well, don't go to. Wildwood or, or UG Pines or wherever, no, you're going to go there, right? Because he's specialized. So he has a much broader reach, even though he's much narrower, but he has a much broader reach. So, so if, you're, if you're more focused, you actually have a, a, a deeper market penetration than if you're very broad and you solve everybody's problems. Because if you're solving everybody's problems, <laughs> then nobody feels like you're really good at anything. Exactly. Right. So... So, you're going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to add in this whole concept that we call a blue ocean market versus a red ocean market. So, a red ocean market is when you have a lot of sharks, a lot of companies competing, like he's talking about. We're all fighting for the same type of person. Hey, are you dying and you want to go through natural remedies and hydrotherapy? Come to us. Well, should I go here to Canada? Should I go here to Alabama? Should I go down to Honduras? Where should I go? So, you're in a red ocean market. But a lot of times when you see that, a blue ocean market is something that no one else is tapping into. So you say, well, everybody's fighting over this, but depression recovery becomes a very clear example. The second thing I wanted to add with, with Dr. Nedley's example is your unique value proposition, as we technically call it in business, is really what we should call your unfair advantage. It's one of the best pieces of advice that I got from a, a wealthy entrepreneur from Australia. We were sitting down looking at my business concept for corporate wellness, and he said, Sebastian, what's preventing your competition from doing your business tomorrow? But if you go and take your wellness program to Stanford, and Stanford says, we tested the New Life program at Stanford, now when you put that on your website, that's hard to reproduce. That becomes an unfair advantage. So you have to think about something in your business and its differentiation that is essentially saying, this is an unfair advantage that they have. Like, you're dealing with Dr. Nedley and all his experience medically and dealing with depression, that's hard to reproduce. You can't just go and reproduce another depression recovery program. So the expertise, the credibility, he's got the social proof of all the people who have reversed their depression through his program, and a lot of people continue to use it. So in that same sense, that makes it very difficult to come in and to replicate. So you have to make sure you do that when you're doing your differentiation. Okay, the next point is, is developing your business model. So this is what you're going to do mostly next, uh, next hour with Sebastian. You know, these are the different elements of a business model, of any business model. You need to fill out these, these points. I'm not going to go into it because of time and because we're going to do it next time. I even made an example. Wow. 
So let's go into the competition. So competition, it's a, it's a bad word, but essentially you just need to know who, who are the players in the market. Um, you need to develop a, a graph for your market that looks like this. Somewhat like this. Usually what is compared is quality and price, but sometimes it's, it's, it's accessibility. Sometimes there's other, other um, parameters, yep. but, but generally you need to figure out what are your main parameters for your market, for your industry, and then put the people, the different um, other organizations in there so you can clearly differentiate who you're trying to reach. You know, in a sanitarium, a health center, you know, not everybody is reaching the same people, right? Some sanitariums are really just meant to reach politicians, rich business people, you know, government people, right? Yep. Nobody else, right? And we all judge them and say, oh, you're not reaching the poor people, you know? But it's like, no, 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 no. God is calling all of us to start different kinds of centers so that we all together can reach all classes of people. Does that make sense? So let's not judge them on, on, on that basis. Uh, so let's get into traction here. Traction is, is really important. So how, how do we do traction for the, the Hive idea? Actually, the first idea that we decided to, to, to test with Hive was let's see if we can make an event that people will come to and pay twice as much for than all the other general Adventist events. This was actually our, our, our proposition. If there's any value in this, then let's test it out. And do you know how much money we invested? We made with a friend of mine, uh, we just created a little video of the pioneers. I don't know if anybody watched that of the pioneers and how they were entrepreneurs. Uh, it cost, the whole video production cost us 50 bucks uh, <laughs> because we had to pay for the music that uh, we put to the, to the video. Yes. And we just put the video, and we put at the end of the video, we put the date and the location of the event. Uh, we didn't have uh, an event location, actually. We just knew we were going to do it in Berlin, but we didn't know... In, in what, what, what place or anything like that. And we just put it on there. And I just dropped it on my own Facebook account to see what would happen. And within about, I don't know, four days or so, we had like 70 shares, 12,000 views, right? And I'm like, okay, well, maybe this, some people like this, right? Mm -hmm. So, but it wasn't, it wasn't finished testing yet, right? So we set up the registration form to see if people were going to register for that amount of money. Right? And so suddenly people started registering. So now I started getting like a little bit nervous. I'm like, okay, now we need to make sure that uh, are we going to really do an event? Or <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or is this just a test? You know, is this the smoke test? <laughs> <laughs> what we call a smoke test. Yes. And so we decided to do it, you know? And so then 100 people showed up. So I'm like, hmm, awesome, right? And this is without doing any promotion, without, without doing absolutely anything, except for this one Facebook post. So I'm like, if one Facebook post produces 100 people to pay this amount of money, it's going to work, right? Mm -hmm. So then we did that a couple years, and now we have requests from really all over the world to do these kind of events in, in, in these different parts of the world. And, um, and so we said, okay, well, we got to do something about it. So now we're actually ramping up the organization to, to, to do that. Okay, here's other business coaching, ah, other examples. So, wait, here. So this is how you do traction. How, you, how, how do you generate traction? It's called the MVP principle. How do you... How do you reduce your business or your product to a minimum viable product? It's not like this. You know, this is not how you develop a car, <laughs> but it's, it's like this. You start with a roller, you know, with a skateboard, 
and then you go up and up and up. As you generate, you can grow. Um, we tend to want to build, when we start lifestyle centers, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in this business very much, you know. This is how we do it, you know. We buy a big old property, and then we spend tons of money remodeling a place, and then we want to start a, a, a website, you know, actually we register the, the ministry, we have the board uh, founding members and all this stuff, and then we put up a website and we say, hey, we're going to do a lifestyle program here. Want to come? And then nobody shows up. And then now you already invested a million dollars, you know, stuck with a property that nobody likes to go to because it's out in the middle of nowhere because it was cheap for you to buy. And, and now you're stuck with it, you know. So, so the idea is actually to do the opposite. You start with a little website, cost you $10, put up the program, rent a place for a week to see if people sign up and go. If they don't come, it's a hotel. You know, they pay for their own stay. So no, no money out of pocket. And you could test whether people would come to a program that you're offering. So, so much, much easier for you to, to do that. So the principle is figure out what your business, in your business idea, figure out how you can reduce that idea. Even if it's a restaurant, what, what are you going to do? You're going to do, you're going to rent a place? Yeah, you're going to do a pop-up place, make a little, a little, a little sausage, you know, thingy-majig or whatever, and try to, try to sell it to somebody, Right? See if they like it, get feedback, and then grow from there. Yep. So this is the prototyping model. You have assumptions. You do the market research, as we, as we said. And based on that, you come up with hypotheses of your product, you know, product proposal or your, your problem. You're, you're, you're making a hypothesis whether this is going to create value or going to create growth for your company. And then you experiment experimenting as i said it's like a landing page you know this is how this is how um dropbox you guys know dropbox everybody knows dropbox right so dropbox is a very simple idea but dropbox was very complicated to explain to people when it was just first started right they they would have had to develop the entire thing the entire infrastructure to be able to upload and download and so forth and and, and so and so and so they said instead of investing a few hundred thousand dollars to develop this thing, you know what he did? He just developed a little video of him acting like, on his computer, acting like this is what Dropbox functionality would be. And then he posted that in a, in a, in a startup tech development community. And he saw how many people liked that idea and, and, and would download that idea, you know? It's like even with a fake button and everything to download, you know, it's like how many clicks do you get, you know? And so by, by, by seeing, wow, suddenly 50,000 people were trying to download this product that didn't exist. He created, a, he created an overnight product, you know, a little video to test. This is called smoke tests, <laughs> okay, or mock-ups, right? So you do that. This is how you test the idea before you invest a lot of money into, into, into an idea. It's very important to do it that way. So when you're experimenting, this is how you then get a proof of concept. This is the, the correct term for, for that. Once you see that there's traction, then you can go beyond. No investor is going to invest into any idea unless you can see traction, right? Unless you can see people actually taking action on your product proposition. Then you come to the MVP. The MVP is the minimum viable product. You haven't even established your business yet, but you have a little product that you're trying to sell um, kind of undercover in some cases. I'm just going to say it that way. That's right. After the MVP, then you come to the minimum marketable product, which is actually where you find product market fit. This is the most important question, right? When do you find that connection between the market, between what they want and what you want to offer? And then you can actually establish the business as your minimum viable business. And then it goes on to scaling your business and so forth in the development process of your, of your thing. Financial model, okay. Uh, yeah, 
uh, we could talk about it. The last thing I want to just share here is that if your product, if your project doesn't have a spiritual impact, then I would hope that it's in your heart that it makes your, your it, at least in my case, it makes my motivation go so far down that I will, that I will not invest any more time in that business, okay? So, so um, you, you need to design a spiritual impact. The last hour, uh, it's going to be this afternoon, right? Yep. The last hour is going to be on how to share the gospel strategically through your company, with your customers. This is a very, very complicated process that most people, and even ministries, have really not, uh, not really studied out. So we developed, with HiveCamp, we developed a methodology to help people develop um, an actual framework for how to reach customers in a tactful way with, uh, with the gospel. So we're going to go through this, but in the last hour. The, the, the last thing I think I want to share is the team. You need to have a team that is very, very, um, very um, committed, okay? Uh, the problem is this. Most people think starting a business looks like this. You know, you have your idea, you start it, and then you got your startup, right? But the reality looks a little bit different. People that are a little bit more... Um, have studied or understood, had a little more experience, they realize that it looks a little bit more like this, right? Mm -hmm. But actually, this is not the reality either. If you look at startups, <laughs> this is the reality of startups, okay? So if you're not willing to go through this, don't start a startup, okay? It's very important. Uh, Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? So this really is the truth for startups, right? So if you're going to start a business, be prepared to get punched in the face, you know, at least once a day, okay? So, and that for at least a year, usually it's more like three years. So, so get ready. Don't get discouraged. I'm not trying to, actually, I, I am trying to discourage some people, you know, <laughs> because then we have less failure rate in the Avenus startup community. No, no, no. No, my point is, I'm not trying to discourage you, but I am trying to say, this is the reality in startups, okay? Mm -hmm. This is the reality. It's not as simple as we think. Uh, get ready to get punched in the face a whole bunch of times, and, uh, and eventually you will succeed if you're resilient. So resilience, to me, is actually one of the strongest, one of the most important characteristics of, a, of any entrepreneur is resilience, being able to deal with those punches and, and, and use it to your advantage. Purpose-driven, perseverance, growth-mindedness, and taking responsibility. Here are some books that help to understand the spiritual side of, of, uh, of business evangelism. Um, I recommend these books. There's, there's many others, too. And then I recommend these books as they have really formed my, my understanding for how, how to develop a sustainable business. Here's the, here's the e-myth, by the way. Yep. This is the e-myth revisited. By the way, you guys know Blinkist? Anybody knows Blinkist? Yep. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Well, this, is the, this is the app for CEOs. This is what they call it. Is if you don't have time. This is how I read. I read maybe, I don't know. 50 books a month, okay, through this app. Why? Because it, it summarizes a book into 15-minute segments with the top 10 learning outcomes from a book. So you only, in, one, in 15 minutes, you have a, the main content of a book. So you can go through books uh, much, much faster. So I do this. It's like the best investment that I made this year. Uh, it's not very expensive. Okay, unfortunately, we don't have much time for Q&A, but uh, we'll take some time in the last hour to have Q&A this afternoon. All right, shall we stand for prayer? I've been sitting down a lot. All right, Father in heaven, 
Lord, we know that it is impossible in these short periods of time to really give everything that is necessary for success. And there are unforeseen circumstances that lay ahead of us if we're serious about pursuing these ideas. And so, Lord, we just want to pause a moment and acknowledge that it is not the capabilities we now possess or ever will possess that will give us success. But it is only that which the Lord can do for us. And so, Lord, we long to expect great things from you. And, Lord, we want to commit these ideas to you. We want to consecrate ourselves to you and pray that as we move into some practical things to really start adding traction and movement and action to our ideas, Lord, that you would bless our meetings and bless our time. This is our prayer, and we offer this prayer from our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.